0: Good morning, guys. Hopefully, uh, everybody get, there's a lot of food back there. Hopefully, you're able to get some food. Thank you, Mitch, for doing that. So, all right, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. All right. We're a little fewer today, so I need you to be a little bit more boisterous than that. So, boisterous than that. So, uh, again, thank you to uh, Becca and Boyce for leading us in worship while Andrew, and uh, just an update on Andrew, he uh, was having a lot of back issues last week, and he's doing better. Uh, but I think he's scared. So anyway, just keep praying for him. Uh, when I was a youth pastor, one of the things that I loved to do, and especially when we were in Southern California, this is one of my jobs that I had, but every single week on Sunday, we would do an outreach and service project. And so we would attend one of the services, but then we would go out and we would do something. So like once a month, we'd go to an, a retirement home and we would visit with people. And I kind of called it senior... Uh, senior ministry. We had seniors in high school and senior citizens, and they were just kind of bridging that gap and getting to know each other and blue hair and blue hair, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, but one of the things that I loved to do, and I actually loved to watch, was we would try to get as much money as we could, put, them, put our students in a car, give them the money, and then we would send them out. And the idea was that they would go through like a drive through at a restaurant or a Starbucks. And they were to buy the cheapest thing on the menu, but then pay for the car behind them. I don't know if you've ever done that or like you go through a toll booth. I I liked it when, I'll just be honest, I love toll booths now where you just blow right through it and you get something in the mail at the end of the month. But one of the things that I always loved to do was um, pay for the car behind me and You know, when we would do this through drive-throughs and then kind of sneak off and then just try to get to a place where you could see the expression uh, that they got because a stranger paid for their meal or a stranger paid for their coffee. It feels good. It's so much fun to do that. And I've told you before, but uh, for a while, uh, our family, when we would go to Sonic, we would pay for the car behind us, which usually at happy hour... Is my cheap generosity. <laughs> it's like, they're probably getting a slush in a corn dog, and so I'm going to walk away, you know, it's like a $2 thing. Uh, but my daughter, Brooklyn, and I've said this, but my daughter, Brooklyn, now just has it in her mind. Every time we go to Sonic, we're paying for the car behind us. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things. They may have ordered $30 of corn dogs or food or whatever, but uh, just to be able to do kindness. There are times, and it's been in the news, that, People have started to do this, and it'll go for hours. They'll just keep paying for the car behind them. And generosity is a good thing. heard one time that it feels good to make money. It feels really good spending it. But there is nothing that comes close to the amazing joy that you will feel when you are giving it away. last week, we started this series. We're kind of taking a break from our Life of Christ series. But just to dive into the blessed life, what does a blessed life look like? A life that actually goes beyond anything that we could actually comprehend. Uh, but here's the struggle. You are going to have to pay attention to God and not the world. Because the world is going to tell you this is the way you can have the blessed life. And God is going to give you a, a little different look. Not just a little, a, a, a lot. His message is going to look different. The idea is that the key to a blessed life is a generous life. Acts chapter 20 verse 35 says that I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. And you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus saying, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And I've always thought, you know, parents understand this probably better than children. Because I love giving to my kids. I really do. It is one of the highlights of my life. But you're going to have a blessed life. You'll live the blessed life if you live a generous life. And it starts with developing a generous heart. And that's what I pray for. God, give me a generous heart. It's what I want to have. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 7 it says, "Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver." I would hear that verse when I was a kid and I would be like, "Well, I don't want to give. So I will be the uncheerful giver." But the idea is that Jeff, you give until God lines your heart up with what you're doing. I want to be a cheerful giver. I want you to be a cheerful giver. And that when we actually have a generous heart, we're going to actually start to live our lives a little bit more like Christ, whose whole goal was to give. And don't miss this. Gave everything for you and for me. He gave his very life for us. And Jesus tells us that if we really want to find life, you need to give yours away. You need to give yours away. Give it away. And we've all experienced the generosity of God. Everything that we have in this life that is good is actually a gift from God. And he has given to you And we are so blessed, but I never want, and this is what I think can happen, is we can allow our blessings to become a curse. What God wants to dish out on us can eventually become a curse if we're not careful to give it away, if we try to hold on to it. In fact, I was thinking about this uh, this week, but this morning you get up and you go about your day and we're always doing something that sustains your life we're breathing right everybody you, you breathe through the uh, you know well since the very beginning you were born you took your first breath and we've been doing it ever since and I always think man God gave me the breath in my lungs and I didn't deserve it I didn't I didn't deserve today I would say today's a blessed day we didn't deserve it so he gave it to us so I want you to think about this real quick take a real deep breath and hold it in as long as you can. Okay? So you're going to take that fill up those lungs with air and you're going to hold that. Now, some of you will be able to hold this longer than others and some of you right now are like I wonder how long he's going to talk. (laughs) But you inhaled this breath and in a moment, every one of you is going to do something. You're going to exhale, and you're going to give that breath back. So you can let it out. You are meant to give that back. Not to hold on to it forever, but to let it go. In fact, if you hold on to it and you never give that breath back, What's going to happen? You will die. You will eventually drop dead. Because you were never meant to hold on to it. You were meant to let it go. In fact, the world that we live in, especially on our side of the world, North America, the devil is having a field day convincing us to just concentrate on consuming and not giving back but consuming, to be consumers, to consume it for yourselves, to eat it up, to devour it, to take it all in. In uh, Luke chapter 13, Jesus tells this parable of a fig tree. And the fig tree for about three years is not producing any fruit, and the farmer who planted it is getting rather upset. And he tells the gardener, you need to cut it down. We need to get rid of it, because it is just consuming. It's consuming all the nutrients from the ground. But it's not producing fruit. It's not giving back. It is worthless. you were made to give, to produce, and give it away. And it's actually quite fun. And so Jesus said in John chapter 15 that if a branch has no fruit, you need to cut it off and throw it into the fire. It will be kindling. And so as a Christian, we need to think about how we are contributing How are we going to give? It's what we were created to do. And today, we're talking about something, uh, about an important test. And uh, that God says that we can actually give to Him. And how cool is that? Finally, we can give God a test because I always feel like I'm the one getting tested. You ever think about some of the tests you've gotten in your life? This past week, when I was thinking about all these tests that we've taken, there's one that stands at the top for me. I was in college, and I was getting ready for spring break. And I'm not going to say her name for by any chance. She is still alive. If by any chance she heard this online, I'm not gonna, she'll figure it out. We're getting ready to go on spring break, and one of my professors hands us a 40-page take-home test. And for the life of me, I don't think a time where I've ever been so angry at a person. I'm like, what are you talking about? A 40-page take-home test over spring break. And I was so mad. I was angry. Um, I was filled with spite, I guess is the word. And I took my test in spite. I really did. There were always these these things that I wanted to say in some of the essays. Like, here's what I really want to say. I want to see if you're actually reading this. But we have these tests through life, and maybe you've sat down in school, and teacher says, hey, you need to clear off your desk, and they start handing out a test. And I'm not sure what the difference is between a test and a quiz, but they kind of bring that out, and for the life of you, you didn't remember that there was going to be a test scheduled for that day, you don't remember hearing about it. And the Lord knows you didn't study for the test. And so now you're sitting, sitting in front of you and you get that really nauseous feeling. Is it just me? Anybody else have this? Am I the only one that didn't study for tests? You get this nauseous feeling and it's just like your stomach drops, you feel sick, feel like you need to throw up. And then the goal is to throw up because if you throw up, maybe you can get out of taking the test. But I was thinking about tests that we take, and obviously, there's a lot of them, but oftentimes, I feel like I'm being tested by God. Maybe God is preparing me something, you know, for something different, and I was told a long time ago, God's been doing things to prepare you for something else, challenging me in certain areas, and where I feel challenged when we go through this series and this study is just that He's challenging me to turn my selfish heart into a generous heart, He said, Jeff, I want you to have a generous heart. And where we land today is just talking about something that we need to give to God that was never for us to keep and it was always meant to be his and this is what we call the tithe which is the first 10% of what we receive that it belongs to God. In Genesis chapter 2, Adam and Eve, they have it made in the garden. Uh, God Gave him the Garden of Eden. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to name the animals, and I want you to populate the earth. That's a pretty good gig. And he also said, here's what I'll do. You can eat anything in the garden except for this one tree, the fruit that this one tree produces, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he says, I do not want you to eat of this. Now, that's kind of tough, isn't it? Tell a kid, hey, here's what I don't want you to do. And it's what they want to do. I tell my kids, you're not allowed to go to your room. For the first time, they'll want to go to their room. Tell them that it's off limits. You can't go there. It's forbidden. That's where they'll want to go. Adam, Eve, they're curious. Well, the fruit on this tree must be pretty spectacular. It looks really good. I don't know what's wrong with it. Why are we not allowed to eat it? But soon, they decide to consume something that was not theirs to consume. And I want you to catch that. They had all these trees, thousands of trees in the garden, producing fruit. But they consumed from the one that was not intended for them. It was not theirs to consume. They acted like they owned the tree. And when we think about Life, and when we think about being owners of things that belong to God, we get into trouble. And when they did this, they opened up a wave of sin that continues today, where we take our eyesight off of Christ, off of God, and we place it on ourselves. What can I get? And this is what happened with Adam and Eve. And the way that God sets it up for us in our generosity and our giving is a question of trust. Do I trust God? Do I trust Him to provide for my life, for the life of my family? Now, anytime you do a a sermon or a series on giving, it always sometimes gets uncomfortable for certain people. And a lot of people are like, yeah, I'd rather us talk about anything else. But I actually kind of get excited when we start talking about giving and generosity. And the reason I do is I start thinking, man, how amazing would it be for everybody here to be released from any kind of curse that we've been living under and to have the freedom in God when it comes to our finances and that there is incredible blessings for our lives when we live by the biblical principles of generosity. And it becomes a freeing thing and it becomes fun. And in the book of Malachi, which is the last book in the Old Testament. Um, Jesus addresses, or God addresses this with the Israelites through the prophet Malachi. And uh, the prophet is sharing with the people (laughs) that they're not doing well, that they're under an incredible distress, famine. Things are not going well, and we uh, pick this up in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. It says, I am the Lord, and I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now, return to me, and I will return to you. Kind of like in James 4.8. Lean into me, or draw close to me, and I will draw close to you. Here's the interesting thing. What's he started out with? I do not change. God doesn't change. The things that were important to him then are the things that are important to him now. And he is reminding them that just because you are the next generation, you shouldn't ignore the things that I've laid out from the very beginning of time. Those things are important. And even their ancestors weren't living it correctly. Verse 7 says, but you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? No, hear this. He says, you have cheated me of the tithes and the offerings due to me. You are under a curse for your your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, which is the church, so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of Heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you, and I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord. And then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord. It's incredibly strong language, isn't it? That God uses here when he's talking about what they have done wrong. He says, you have robbed me. You have cheated me. When you didn't bring your tithes and your offerings that belong to me. Now, if you're new to this thing that we call the church, and this word tithe, it may not be familiar to you. What are we talking about? It's actually a principle of tithing that God is talking about. Tithe is the first 10%. It is returning back to God what belongs to Him, giving one-tenth of what He blesses you with and with me. And so if I give you $10 and I say, hey, here's $10 that you did not have before. I'm going to give you 10 All that I want you to do is give me one back. Now, most of us in here would be like, not a problem. I just got nine bucks. And it's because we're understanding that that is a blessing, blessing that is given to you. Now, this gets so much more fun When we start to realize and understand that everything belongs to the Lord and everything has been given to us from Him. And I need to have a godly perspective on our resources, on our finances, the understanding that everything I have belongs to God. It is His. And we get the opportunity to become godly managers of what He has given to us Now we work hard and I'm not saying we don't but every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. Tithing is returning to God what belongs to Him. In Leviticus 27.30 it says every tithe of the land whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. And so if I believe that everything that Uh, belongs to him if I believe everything in this world belongs to him and the tithe was never meant to be mine but the Lord's and I don't give it to him it says that I am a thief that it's thievery to take what belongs to God and the language that God uses for the children of Israel is that they have been living under a curse And this wasn't just in Malachi. Actually, if you go back and you read uh, the book of Haggai, it'll take you about five minutes to read the entire book. Same with Malachi. But they are under so much hardship. And it's directly related to their disobedience when it comes to generosity. And what they were doing at the time of the prophet Malachi, this will just give you a little bit of insight of what's going on, and you can read about it in chapter 1 and chapter 2, but they are not giving God their best. They're giving God stuff that they don't even want. They were giving lame and blind and sick animals for their sacrifice. They were giving to God the things that they didn't even want want themselves, the leftovers. You know, I don't even want this, but you know what? I'll give it to God. Well, is that even a sacrifice? And that's what God is addressing. That's not even a sacrifice, and this offends God, which is why he calls them thieves, and he won't stand for it. In 2 Samuel chapter 24, you'll read this story. You can read it maybe this week, but King David understood this because when he goes to buy some land to build an altar for the Lord, the landowner is like, no, I will give it to you. You are the king, you know, here you go. But King David Basically, won't have any part of that. In fact, he says this. He says, no, I insist on buying it, for I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. How in the world could I give to God something that didn't cost me anything? That's not a sacrifice at all. In fact, G. Campbell Morgan says that sacrilege is taking something that means little or nothing to you and giving it to God. And when we give a sacrifice to God, it not only needs to cost us something, but it needs to be the best of what we have to offer. So I want to give to God my very best, my very best effort My resources. My favorite child. I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that. But I want to offer the very best. The very first. Off the top. And if we do, God promises us something. It says in verse 10, it says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. And if you do, says the Lord, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it all in. Try it. Put me to the test. And so, not only are we put to the test, do we trust God? It is a test that we can give to God that He will open up the windows of heaven and He wants to pour out blessings so great that you won't have enough room to take it all in. See if you can outgive God. For many of us that have tried it here, um, we know it's impossible. And he wants to give generously into your life and into my life and your eternal life. It's what parents love to do. They love to give to their children. And it doesn't mean just financially. And I think that's the part that we need to understand. If I give to God, it does not mean that he is going to make me extremely wealthy monetarily. But he is going to bless me with riches far greater than monetary wealth. And what we give to God is more than just monetary wealth. Jesus talks about the tithe in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the the weightier matter of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. He says, I still want you to be tithing in these things, but listen, you need to be showing mercy, and you need to be showing faithfulness. You need to be going above and beyond, which you are not doing. And you should do these things. Now, I've spent quite a bit of time in this passage this past week and other times, but people that hear what God says about the subject of money, oftentimes instead of choosing to obey Jesus, what we'll do is we'll just put our own wants and our own needs ahead of the kingdom of God. And we're choosing, when we do this, we're choosing to live under a financial curse rather than the blessings that God wants to have for our lives. Now, I'll be honest. This is how I lived a great deal of my life. There was so many years of my adulthood where I was not giving. And I think, you know, my parents did a great job, but the one thing that I wish they had done a little bit better was teaching me about generosity. They showed me by living it out, but they did not tell me, (laughs) Jeff, you need to be generous in giving. And so what I did for a great period of my time was I kind of what I would consider, uh, I was under a financial curse. Life was not good financially for me. I was in financial chaos. My credit score was horrendous. I owed people money. I had creditors calling me and asking for money. And I wasn't honoring God with my wealth. And I would give here and there, but it was not what God wanted for my life. And when I got married to Sarah... Sarah, unfortunately, married into an unhealthy financial situation. And it all stemmed from me not giving to God what was his. And it was one of those really difficult conversations that you have in marriage. And it was early on in marriage that we had, and she wasn't happy, and that rightfully so. But it forced us to sit down and for her to tell me, we've got to stop. And I was a pastor at the time. She says, We need to honor God with everything that we have. And I said, I agree, because that's what I've been preaching and not living. And it forced us to set up a budget. And our giving to God changed that day, it became consistent. And at first, I'll be honest, I was like, hey, we, we can't afford to tithe. And Sarah was like, well then, we should move to Missouri. And I was like, all right, we can tithe. It wasn't meant to be mine. And so because it wasn't even intended to be mine, one of the things that I chose to do is I, I told the church, I said, hey, can you just take the tithe right out of my paycheck? And they're like, eh, okay, we can do that. And a lot of people are like, yeah, I don't know about that. Shouldn't you be giving? And I did. What did you give? For the very first time in my life, I gave an offering. And it felt really cool. Now, what didn't happen overnight but did happen over time, it was amazing, is what God would do. Because in less than three years, we were 100% debt-free. My credit score was over 800 And we were no longer living under a financial curse. And this is all living in Southern California, which was very expensive. But just putting our trust in God that he would provide and being smart. Now, we were not rolling in money, and we still do not. But never, ever have we been hungry for food or did not have a roof over our head. It's shown us how to live within our means and be generous. And it has been an amazing thing, and God has been good. Whenever I have couples or I have people that come up to me and they tell me, you know, I'm really struggling financially right now, the first question that I always ask is, are you giving to God? Are you giving to God what belongs to Him? And so I want to just challenge you guys because I was challenged and it's been one of the best things that I've ever done, Sarah and I have ever done, but just three ways to to give. And the first one is the tithe. It's 10% of your income. It is off the top. And so we put it in red letters, in bold, in big whatever, and we just said, you know what, nothing changes this number The only thing that'll change this number is if we get an increase in salary. The second one is the offering. And that's above and beyond the tithe. And that was really cool for me that when we started to tithe, it actually allowed me to give an offering and to be generous. And it felt so cool. And the whole goal is generosity. Is that when you see a need, and this is so cool, when you see a need, you're able to meet a need. And I really think this is what God wants from us. It's above and beyond the tithe, but when you see people in need, you're able to help. Especially inside the church, when people say, hey, a lot of youth pastors are doing, or I'm sorry, church planters are doing this, where they do Sandman, see a mead, need a mead, and er, meet a need. And so they'll have Sandman in their. In their building, and people will be able to put down things that they need and people are able to fulfill that. But let me, let me state this this way. Because there's a lot of people, we believe different things and we'll read scripture and be like, oh, I see it this way and I see it that way. But let me just state this. I do not believe God's goal is for us to tithe. I believe his goal for us is to show generosity, which is above and beyond the tithe. I firmly believe that the tithe is the baseline. It's where we start. And when we go above and beyond the tithe, we are now giving an offering to God. We're now giving faith-based giving and generosity. 1 Timothy 6.18 says... Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. So share it. Be generous with it. In 2 Corinthians 8 7 it says, Since you excel in so many ways, in your well, in your I'm sorry, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in In this gracious act of giving. Do good with the things that God has given to you. And I'll just be a little honest. I I always feel with revive, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir. Because you guys are so generous. You guys give of your time, your resources, so many different ways. I love this church because it is a generous church. And whenever somebody is in need, you guys are always extremely quick to stand up and help. And I love that. But do good with the things that God has given to you. and We invest in the kingdom. And let me tell you, the return on your investment is eternal. Think about that. When we give to the kingdom of God, the return is eternal. It has a lasting return. So when you give, things like the Christian campus house in Fort Collins or the Christian campus house in Greeley or you see missionaries that need help and you're able to give and, you know, as the giving goes up with Revive and as we grow and it enables us to do more and more, we will be able to look for ways to be generous And we already do that. We're already looking for ways to be generous and show generosity. But those things have lasting returns. And I love partnering with some of those ministries. So think about it like this. A, do I trust him to provide? Do I trust his promise that if we give, that he will just bless us? But the fact is that our goal should to be like Christ. That's what a Christian is. To follow after and to be like Christ. And God gave us His very best. He gave us the best when He gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. And so I love the fact that we get the opportunity to be generous. And so I just want to encourage you guys in that. Um, And I know it's very personal for people, but I had somebody tell me one time, what would your wallet tell you you worship Jeff? That changed my life. And I hope it changes yours for the better. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for reminding me, reminding us, that your goal is not the tithe. Your goal is so much bigger than that. It is to be generous. And I pray that this church, Father God, will be so generous. We'll be generous to your kingdom work, but we will be generous to the community that we will do what we can to reach needs, meet them. So help us to do that. Help us for a change of heart so that our heart lines up with you. And if it does a generous heart will occur. So we love you and we thank you. And this we ask in your name. Amen.